This episode of the Youth Ministry United podcast is brought to you by G-Shades. G-Shades is a youth ministry curriculum and teaching strategy that is focused on helping students see every life situation through the lens of the gospel. And I know what you're thinking. Graham, I don't have the budget for a youth ministry curriculum. But I'll tell you this, guys. G-Shades has options to fit everybody, and I mean everybody, with three plans to choose from. And every single one of these plans has the resources that you need to do what you want to do, which is impact your students and to impact them better. So if you just need message outlines, a discussion guide for your small groups, and like a game, that plan is only $16 a month. Maybe you're looking for higher production value, like a bumper video before the message or an Instagram devotional or a parent guide so you can keep them informed on what you guys are teaching. That's only $25 a month. And and let's say you want to step it up again and have a video curriculum that's going to help you increase your online reach during this pandemic and moving forward because we know all of our kids are online. G-Shades has you covered for that. It's only $36 a month. You're not going to find youth ministry video curriculum at that price point anywhere else. And I'll tell you this, just from what I've downloaded and used myself, the content that they create is amazing. It is so excellent, so well done. The content is good. The outline messages are incredible. The bumper videos alone are worth $36 a month. It just takes your messages. It takes your impact to the next level. You don't want to miss out on this. So head to gshades.org to download season two of G Shades Youth Ministry Curriculum and make sure you use the promo code UNITED. That's U-N-I-T-E-D, all uppercase, UNITED, at checkout to get an extra $5 off. And remember, G Shades, it's about seeing life through the lens of the gospel. Welcome to the Youth Ministry United podcast, where our goal is to equip you, encourage you, and empower you to do all that God has called you to do in your youth ministry. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. What's going on, YM United Nation? I feel like I haven't been here in a long time. This is incredible. My name's Graham. I am not a guest on this podcast. I am, in fact, one of the hosts. Have been for quite some time, since the beginning, actually. But, you know, we just got out of Easter, guys. I've, I just, we've been running, you know, like chickens with their head cuts off, Mach 4 with our hair on fire. Welcome to the podcast. We're so excited that you're here. Before we introduce our guest today, uh, we got to go, we got to go round robin, man. We got to go, let's do the old, old time's sake. We are joined by none other than the Podfather himself. Come on. I don't even, he could have multiple nicknames at this point. Uh, Matt Bowman, what's going on, Matt? What's up? The Podfather in the house today. Have you I been feel like I'm in a while? Every, every episode. Every episode. That's right. That's I true. think, well, every episode since we started nicknames. Because we've retired TikTok King because that's never going to happen. Yeah, bro. Yeah. I mean, eventually it might, but <laughs> I just need to get back on the TikTok grind. Yeah, I can't. I can't sustain that cut level of commitment to yeah, it's, social it's, media platforms. It's difficult. Nope. Well, we got you on here, Podfather, and I'm super pumped about it. Next, uh, from our uh, man from the land down under. Oh, the the, uh, the deep, 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 de
you might have heard of him on the news. Florida man, Taylor. What's going on, Taylor? <laughs> Florida man. You, uh, that would be. Have you ever, have you ever played the game where you put your birthday in and type Florida man on Google? Yes. It just for those of you that haven't played it yet, listening, just play the game, please. Just all you do is go to Google, type your birthday, like month and day, and type Florida man, and there's a Florida man headline for your birthday. It's right. it's the best thing ever. So wow. while this podcast is going on, I, I expect Taylor for you to do that and tell us what your Florida man. <laughs> I will. I will to 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 help increase listening and viewership. I'm going to leave you in suspense, and I will have my Florida man headline by the end of this episode. I will look it up during during one of the questions. I will look it up. <laughs> Bet. I love it. I love it. Well, guys, so excited to have you guys here. I'm excited for this conversation that we're going to have. Uh, and I'm excited to get to introduce our, our guest to you today. I'm going to let him talk about himself. Uh, but uh, his name is Aaron Holt. However, it is not spelled like A.A. Ron. He would not get that in that classroom setting. He might get Eron. He might get he might get Eron. He might get all kinds of weird stuff. He might get all kind of weird stuff. But it ain't gonna be Aaron. Aaron Holt, tell him what's up, man. What's up? You you got it, buddy. No double Aaron here happening. Uh, Aaron Holt, so glad to be with you guys. Graham, Matt, Taylor, uh, honored to be on uh, the podcast here. Hang out with you guys for a little bit. Man, we're pumped to have you here too. You know, uh, it's funny is if we're if we're looking at like if we're grammatically look your spelling is more correct grammatically, I feel like. Don't you think E-R-O-N makes more sense than A-A-R-N in my head? <laughs> hey, I'm, all, I'm from Alabama. I'm always gonna be the guy who feels like my name spelled E-R-A-N is the right way to spell it, right? I mean, you know, everyone else got it wrong. Everyone, you know, so see, I but, spelled it wrong just now. There yeah, you go. see, most people do. You know, I have like lifelong friends that still spell it wrong. It's kind of funny. You know, I get the girl spelling a lot, E-R-I-N, but um, yo, if you're curious, just grab your Bible, Numbers 2636. It's there in a genealogy. You can thank my dad. Uh, you know, I'm a son of a, a preacher's kid. I'm a preacher's kid, son of a pastor. And uh, he found it in there. I I like to say that my dad and mom were probably a part of like the obscure Bible name of the month club whenever they were like having kids. And uh, they got that sent to them in the mail one day. And they're like, that's going to be the name of our son. So... <laughs> But thanks to be to my dad, if, if he only really knew how great the internet was going to be and that I was going to be able to get any user and any email address that I ever wanted just with my first and last name, you know, I, so I owe him a lot. I'm, 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 I'm grateful. I'm appreciative. <laughs> yeah, because that actually matters now. It does. It, it, a lot. it, it does. Right. <laughs> I mean, it makes it super easy. Like when you're handing out information, but man, we're so pumped to have you. So tell, take a minute. Obviously, we know you're a, a pastor's kid, so that's kind of interesting. Tell go. us about who you are. You know, what do you do? Where do you serve? What's your background? Give us the details. The details. The yeah. Okay. So uh, lived in Pennsylvania my whole life. Currently living in Pittsburgh. Um, been in full time ministry for twenty five plus years now. Um, and my wife and I started. Uh, in full-time ministry, met, met in college, uh, Julie and I got married right after school and started in full-time um, ministry in 1996 and uh, whew, always been involved in student ministry. And so done 
uh, a couple different things in, in student ministry. Um, I, uh, my first uh, four or five years, I traveled quite a bit as a, a young guy out of college, youth evangelist, did some um, directing for a missions organization here in Pittsburgh and served on staff during those years also um, at my dad's church. So not only uh, a PK, but also worked for my dad uh, for a little bit. And then 2001, um, we transitioned uh, across the state to Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, Heyo, Monopoly, Reading Railroad, that's us. That was the only thing we actually had <laughs> to be proud of. And uh, not the Reading Railroad you thought it was your whole life. It's the Reading Railroad. And uh, um, we were full-time youth pastors there uh, at a church uh, in Reading, Pennsylvania for 15 years on staff. Um, and then uh, 2016, we transitioned from there into what we're currently doing. So um, we launched a nonprofit um, called Lead the Generation. And uh, so we, uh, we do a lot of leadership development um, for student leaders, for uh, volunteer youth pastors, um, for bivocational, full-time vocational youth pastors. We do leadership training, a lot of coaching. We have a whole coaching program that we use with youth pastors. We have a conference that we do for student leaders and youth pastors and their teams. We have a couple of podcasts that we do as well. So all of that's under the ministry of uh, lead the generation. And, um, but we're back here in Pittsburgh now back, back home. Um, our home church is Allison park church and, um, we're a big part of the church as well. And I, uh, serve a, as a part of the leadership team for the, the school of ministry that the church has. And my wife is a elementary principal at a private Christian school. And we got, uh, three kids, 21, 19, 15. Our oldest is our son. And then two daughters, um, Last year, our son got married in the middle of COVID. So we did one of those COVID weddings in a tiny little barn in someone's backyard with 11 people. And uh, it was amazing. Um, great memories, uh, craziness. And now um, the, the big thing in 2021 for us is that my son and his wife are already expecting their first. So I'm getting ready to go to grandparent status. What's up? No, and, uh, <laughs> no way. Yeah. But, um, but man, you I'm still too young to be a grandpa. Uh, uh, you're, I like you, Graham. You're a nice guy. I, you, yeah. And, um, but, uh, yeah, man, just love student ministry. I ain't going anywhere. I'm going to be the old guy, um, who's still doing it, you know? So, uh, that's, uh, that's a little bit of my journey right there. Okay, so listen, a couple things before we move on. Okay, I got to interrupt the flow. First of all, you were in 15, you said 15 years as, yeah. as a student pastor? Wow. Yeah, at the same church, yep. That's yep. longevity right there because most of the time kids drive you insane fast. I think the average is like 18 months for a youth pastor yeah. right now. Well, I mean, I lost all my hair doing that you know, during that time frame. So <laughs> there's, there, there is a price to pay for longevity. Right. But, um, you know, you just wear a cool hat and you're right. So it's, that's it's it. Good. And it's, that's it. I, I, my hat is causing my hair to go away. So I feel you. <laughs> Second thing is, um, lead the generations, what you do now, um, yeah. it, which is incredible. In fact, it's, uh, it's funny. I've been, uh, looking at the conf the conference that's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Just a couple and, of weeks. Uh, yeah, just a couple of weeks, man. And because uh, I, I follow a bunch of these speakers, I know Chris Estrada, Jeff Grinnell, know those guys. Um, I'm pumped for that, by the way. I'm super oh, excited. Cool. Yeah, uh, man. And yeah, so just getting to know. So tell me, tell me before we go into the rest of it, tell us about Lead the Generation. Tell us uh, wh what made you want to do that. What, what, was the, what was the pull at your heart that said, I'm going to leave what I've done for 15 years? Then I'm going to start this uh, from scratch, this organization yeah. to helping uh, youth leaders and leaders. Yeah. So, I mean, there's two big, two big moments there. One. Um, so we started 
lead the generation just as a, a in our mind, what was going to be a one-time conference. And, um, I was, uh, as a youth pastor, you know, I always felt this sense of disappointment that, um, when conferences would come along, um, usually they were somewhere that I had to jump on a plane. I had to spend a lot of money to go. Um, if there was money in the budget to do it or personally, and usually I always had to go by myself. And I, and then I, and then I just, I was, I was disappointed. I was like, man, I want to, I want something that, that I can take my whole team to. I felt that way for a couple of years. And then finally the Holy Spirit just said to me, well, just build it yourself, you know? And so we decided in 2016, we wanted to build a conference that, you know, the average youth pastor who has like 10, 15 kids in the youth ministry, and, and maybe has a leadership team that's like them, their spouse, and like two student leaders and one adult, you know, like something that was, was structured in a way that they could come, that was priced in a way that they could come, and they could experience it all together as a team. And so that was what we built in the spring of 2016. We always, you know, initially were just like a one-day Saturday drive-in type regional event in the northeastern part of the country. And um, then, you know, last year when COVID hit, that pushed in a good way, pushed us to move everything online. And so this conference coming up in two weeks on May the 7th and 8th, this is our eighth conference. Um, it's, but it's our second one that's fully online and everything is structured around um, the, that same vision. We want to price it so it's affordable. We want everybody, a youth pastor to come, be able to bring their entire student leadership team and their adult volunteers um, and have content that's relevant across the board. So, so that started there in 2016. The, the second thing that really pushed us to make this transition and to start our own organization um, and it was I got fired. <laughs> and so I had been at the church for 15 years um, I was like, man, you know, I, in my mind, everything was going great. And, uh, I got called into my pastor's office one day and he said, um, in a nutshell, Hey, things aren't really working out the way that I would like them to work out. So I'll give you to the end of the year to transition off staff. This was June of 2016. And, um, you know, I'll give you a long runway to work with, but I want you to leave. Um, are you willing to do that? And, uh, of course, what are you going to say? You know, no, I'm staying here, whether you want me here or not. And <laughs> so, is, yeah, uh, is there another way to answer that? Yeah, there <laughs> like, really isn't. Right. <laughs> you know? And so, um, you know, I mean, we could talk about it as much as you guys want, but obviously that threw us into a massive season of pain, um, massive season of confusion. What are we doing? You know, it was the only church my kids had ever known. It was the church my, that we had raised our family at. And, um, in, 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 in fairness and to be as honoring as I possibly can be, my pastor had gone through a personal tragedy himself the year before, the summer before he had uh, had a terrible uh, motorcycle accident. His wife had passed away in the accident. He had had um, his left leg amputated. And so he had been through a tremendous amount of grief and tragedy himself. And when he came back into his leadership role after he recovered, he was, um, he was just a very different leader, I think, as any of us would be you know, having gone through that kind of loss. And so there was a lot of decisions that were made, you know, during the subsequent years after his accident that changed a lot of staffing personnel. And I was a part of that, but um, all that to say, you know, God was in that in our lives, even though at the time we didn't feel that uh, we felt anger, we felt hurt, we felt bitterness, we felt pain. We felt like um, we had lost everything that we had spent 15 years building uh, as a family and, uh, and in ministry as well. But um, man, God was just in it. And so through that painful moment birthed uh, the opportunity for us to um, take the conference we had started. And my pastor 
uh, said to me one day when we were talking about the transition, he said, Hey, I think God's in that. I think you should take that and do something with it. And so he said, Hey, I'll just release the whole thing to you, take it and run with it. And, and, um, that's what we've been doing for the last, uh, five, six years now. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Um, Hey, uh, before, before we hop in here to this discussion, um, I'm excited about this conversation, by the way. Um, and I, I don't think, uh, we could talk about this enough. And we've talked about it a couple of times on our podcast before, um, mental health of, of students and, um, you know, the, this generation is one of the most anxious, depressed, lonely generations that, that I've ever seen. And I, I think statistically it's, it's all out there, but uh, before we hop into this conversation, and that, that, this is an awkward transition, but it's okay. Uh, Cause it's, it's, it's our podcast. So um, we always ask our guests an icebreaker question. And I have to ask this, because this is going to tell us a lot about who you are. Oh, goodness. Okay. Make it an easy one. I'm terrible at this game. Oh, it's, <laughs> oh, it's easy. Bro, okay, this okay. is the best question that exists in the world right here. <laughs> it really is. Mm-hmm. So if you were staring any mammal face to face, and this mammal can't run away, it's just staring you right in the face. You got, you're just staring it right in the face. You got one good punch on this mammal. What mammal could you knock out with one punch? Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Just remind me of biology. Like what, what, <laughs> what are mammals again? Like what, like what, like I don't what think we, I don't think we know. Okay. So like, <laughs> I'm, so when I pick the wrong animal, you're not going to be like, that's technically no. not a mammal, right? No. Okay. A mammal wow. is defined as a warm blooded vertebrate animal of a class that is distinguished by the possession of hair or fur, the secretion of milk by females for the nourishment of the young and typically the birth of live young. So you have that cool. definition memorized? That's so impressive. That's, um, that's incredible. You're a walking Google machine. That's, that's unreal. I was about to say that. I am, I am Google. Um, I, I, so I got to decide like, like if I think I can knock it out or if I just want to say I hit that before it totally like thrashed me on the, on the return. Like that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, like, yeah, I could take that thing. You know, I it can't I just, come back. It can't you punch. You just, it cannot, good punch. you just get one good punch in it. I mean, which one do you think you could knock out though? It's, it's not going to get you anyway, but which one could you knock out? Oh, I'm, Oh, but I have to knock it out. I can't just punch it. I actually have to knock it out. Yeah. Is that, yeah. is that the point? That's the, that's the man. Goal. All my insecurities are going to show right now. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with a beaver, a beaver. I have no idea why it was just, it was the only two animals that popped in my mind were a porcupine or a beaver. And I don't want to punch a, a porcupine. <laughs> that just sounds like a dumb idea to me. So <laughs> that's great. It's a good choice. I feel like that's, that's a great. good choice. Come on. I mean, it is because the beavers are strong. Yeah. Right. I mean, My if you don't hit that thing, right. It. He could, he could bite you. He could, he could gnaw your wrist off if you don't hit it. Right. So yeah, you're this, not, this you're isn't as easy it. as what, what people think. Yeah. Listen, and, and <laughs> here's the deal. This is a good mammal because according to my Google machine head, beavers <laughs> have been known to be extremely aggressive in defending their territory against perceived encroachment. 
They may attack oh. humans when infected with rabies. Oh, it wow. can also become disoriented during the daytime and attack out of what? fear. Why do I feel like Buddy the Elf hugging a raccoon right now? I don't, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you need a hug. You need a hug. <laughs> That's great. The beaver. I like that. Yeah. It was, yeah. I like it too. I, I, I'm still going with the baby cow, but that's just me. You will break your hand on a baby cow's head. I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> that's. <laughs> and, and the first part of that is a baby. <laughs> it's a baby. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. We haven't. Let's not, let's not go grown. too. Let's not go too quick into the cow part. Let's, the baby cow. Let's not let's not fly past back. At least I didn't just stop at, at least I didn't just stop at a baby. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. All right, let's transition. Uh, hey, let's talk about mental health, guys. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Come on. Yes. From beavers to uh, babies uh, to mental health. Let's go. This is this is how we roll on our youth ministry podcast. I love it. Uh, I love it. I've missed this Roll so time. much. All right, man. So, Aaron, let's let's hop into this. This is going to be a fun transition. Um, so, yeah, mental health. Cool. Uh, so, so, man, you, you need some mental health. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, Aaron, our our students today are are dealing with a lot. You know, they they value realness. They value honesty. Um, but oftentimes, I feel like our students. Um, kind of in, in my experience, at least, they, they, they hide the fact that they're broken. They don't want to open up to someone about their brokenness. So like, what, what are some of the trends that you've seen in, in culture today that, uh, that influence our students negatively, uh, emotionally? Yeah, I think one of the things um, that I should be at the top of the list for us as youth pastors is understanding very clearly the message that culture sends students in regards to how one builds their identity. And so culture is pretty clear when you dial in and you're listening to, you know, what's in our music, what's in our media, our social media, our movies, our sitcoms, uh, our social media feeds, all this, that um, identity in American culture in particular might very well be one of the last absolutes that our culture actually believes in. Meaning that the only thing that culture is absolutely sure of is that if you don't establish and discover identity for yourself, that you'll never really be happy. You'll never really have joy. You won't have peace, fulfillment, purpose, you know, contentment in your life. And so every message is, is wrapped in that package of, you know, you do you and follow your heart and be who you are. And, and uh, pursue that and discover yourself and be proud of who you are. And you know, that's just the way I am. That's the way that I'm wired. And so what you have is a generation of students that in, in all honesty are being taught, um, build your life based on your things like feelings, um, how you feel. I am, the, I am the sum total of my feelings. I feel, therefore I am. Um, build your life on your attractions, build your life on uh, your achievements, um, Thing, you know, the labels people put on you, um, the feeling of acceptance and approval. And, and so you have a generation of students that in all honesty are being led by feelings. Um, and so there's this 
never ending need within them to always quote unquote, feel good about themselves or feel good about their circumstances or feel good about their decisions. And if they're not experiencing that, um, if they're not experiencing those pleasant emotions, then it means that you haven't figured out identity yet. So you have to keep on searching, keep on pursuing, and also um, keep on experimenting with everything that culture tells you might help you discover the feeling that you're really pursuing or chasing. And so we've led students into, um, okay, well, you need to experiment with with this, with that, you have to have this relationship. You got to try, you know, these activities over here, you know, and, but it's all rooted for, for like, forget about the fruit level. Talk about the root level. It's all rooted there with this, this question of identity and this question of like, who are you going to be? And I, and I think culture ultimately, and some of you might be thinking like, how does this tie in with, you know, this idea of mental health? Well, Culture has basically told students, you'll never really be happy with who you are unless you establish identity. And you're going to establish that through your feelings. Apparently, the very thing that culture says you need the most has actually turned out to be the thing that has created the most mental havoc for students. It's created the most anxiety, the most depression, all of this, right? This whole notion of pursue feeling and pursue always... um, you know, following your heart uh, hasn't really helped us experience peace and joy. Like, like culture says it has, it's actually done the opposite. And so now you have, um, like you said, the most depressed generation, the most anxiety filled generation. I read an article the other day that said that the stress level of Gen Z students is equivalent to the stress level of insane asylum patients of the 1970s. So that, I mean, that's just mind blowing what the, what, what kids are dealing with. Um, and, and if you're trying to, to resolve that as a student, or I mean, let's just be honest, even as adults, if you're trying to resolve that as an adult with the foundation of, of your life being built on always needing to feel good about something, you're in trouble. You're, you're in big trouble. That's insane. That's yeah. that yeah. statistic. That's incredible. I mean, I don't know about, I mean, I know working with where you're working with now, and I, I don't mean to jump in, but just as being in, in the field as a youth pastor, like the number one thing that um, I'm speaking to students about or trying to walk them through is this anxiety, um, anxiety attacks. Uh, they're anxious. I mean, it could be s- small things that most people don't even sure think twice about. And honestly, I think... Th- and you speak to this for me because the question, the question is, is as, as a youth pastor, right on the field, I'm, I'm in it, um, who does not deal, um, or I'd say I don't deal with anxiety, who can handle anxiety a little bit better as an adult, but also as not this part of this generation. I didn't grow up in this, this world. Right. Um, and then also just because they're very intentional and in trying to not do that or trying to handle things in, in a better way. What do you tell the youth pastors when they're trying to walk students through something that they don't necessarily understand the level that they're experiencing it at? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I think that's where, you know, ultimately what we want to get to as a youth pastor. Um, and I think that we, we, we all ultimately would say, yeah, I want to get to the point where I can speak truth to a student. 
And I want to help a student get to the point where they're building their life on truth, on an absolute truth, a truth that is for all people in all places at all times. Uh, I want to get to the point where I'm helping students build their life on a, a Christian worldview where they're looking at our world through the lens, through a biblical lens of truth, right? Um, and obviously we know that if, if a student is, if their life is built on feelings, that that's not a Christian worldview. That's a self-centered humanistic worldview, right? So we want to get to the truth point, but how do we get there really is more your question. Like, because if, because if, if in response to a student's anxiety, in response to a student's deep seated questions, our response is like, well, that's not the truth. Well, that's not what Jesus says. Right. Or, you know, well, the Bible says to build your identity on Christ. That's what you need to do. Like, you know, we're missing some steps in there. So practically speaking, here's, um, a couple of things that I would always say to my youth leaders, whenever they're having these difficult questions with students, right. Um, difficult conversations. You know, we're talking about tough stuff. We're talking about mental health. We're talking about anxiety. We're talking about a kid who is, is saying, Hey, I'm wrestling with a same sex attraction or something like that. So I always remind my leaders, like, number one, remember that you are the church in the way that you respond and not, not the local church, but the big church, capital C church, you're the church. And so your response in this moment will be a response that most likely defines the the view of church that that young person has. And so if your response uh, is not done in grace, it's not done in love, it's not done in, in being empathetic and caring, um, then you run the risk that a student very quickly feels like, well, this is how everybody in the church thinks. And so my, my problems aren't welcome here. My questions aren't welcome here. My struggles are not accepted here. So you know, we always, we have to keep that in mind. We're dealing with a young person whose view of God and view of the church, again, capital C, um, is, is in large part going to be determined by the way that we respond as adults to the tough questions they have and, and the tough things that they're wrestling through. Um, second thing I always reminded my leaders of was um, you are a navigator. Your, your job is to navigate the conversation and to and, and in doing so and in navigating it well, the goal is for an ongoing conversation, not a once and done trite answer, boom, I answered your question. And, and I think sometimes this can be hard for us um, as adults, because again, we want to get to the truth. Um, and if you're a guy, then you, you might even have a little bit of that, like, oh, I want to fix your problem for you type thing, you know, like, let me, let me just do that. I'll just take care of that. Let me give you the answer. Boom, you're done. I, you know. Um, and so I always had to remind myself as well as remind all of my volunteer adult leaders, like um, my goal is to navigate an ongoing conversation. So I'll give you an example of this with, with my son. I, you know, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, my son's married now. And, you know, but when, when my son was about 11 or 12, one of the ongoing conversations that I started with him as a dad was a conversation about pornography. And my goal was to make the, that particular topic among many others, mind you, but to make that topic a very normal conversation between a father and a son, not a one-time conversation, not a let me give you an answer, but um, just, it's just going to be normal. And so, you know, there would be times where we we're just driving around in the car, um, listening to music. He's a, he's a musician. So we listened to a lot of music on road trips and stuff, but every once in a while, I just like, Hey, Hey, Hey man, how you doing with porn? You know, it's just kind of as normal as, as, as could be because my mindset was, it's not a question of, of if you're ever going to struggle with this. It's a question of how am I going to help you struggle with, with what I know you're going to struggle with. 
And, and so I'm going to navigate an ongoing conversation with you. So I, I think that's true um, as youth pastors and youth leaders, when we're helping students deal with difficult issues, you know, again, I'm dealing with mental health, I'm dealing with anxiety, you know, so you're the church, you're a navigator. Um, and the last one is, uh, and this one's just really quick, but I always used to say to my leaders, you're not a counselor. And even if you're, even if you're a- actually happen to be a licensed therapist or licensed ca- counselor for your career, in, in this role as one of my youth leaders, you're not a counselor. So you don't have to, so, I, so what, why would I say that to my team? I wanted to take the pressure off them to feel like they had to have answers to every single question that a student was gonna ask, right? Because if you feel the pressure to always have the right answer, then you lose the relational opportunity that's being presented to you by the student. I don't, I don't wanna just empathetically, lovingly, grace-filled care for you. I wanna try to answer the question and move on to the next one. And so I'm just like, you're not a counselor. Don't even try to be a counselor. Just love and listen and pray and point them back so to good. Jesus. Yeah, oh, That's good. Uh, Aaron, I want to go back to uh, one thing you mentioned earlier about identity and uh, the fact that culture is uh, so, uh, is ingraining this idea of identity so much and in our students. And, and I guess what I want to real quick touch on is, so often it seems like the anxiety or the depression or the addiction to pornography becomes their identity. Yeah. I was talking to a student last night about how he's struggling with, with anxiety and how he's always told to man up when it comes to anxiety. So I feel like there's a stigma still that exists in the church is, is destigmatizing this conversation around mental health as simple as just having an ongoing conversation and I would like to, and a part of me would like to think that, that that's true. You know, I, I don't, I don't know that I can speak as one who has authority to say, yes, absolutely. That's all that it's going to take. Um, and I think I'm probably thinking even broader. I think you are as well, but I'm thinking a little bit broader than even the stigma of mental health in that there, there's just so many topics that in the church world and even in the youth ministry world, which historically speaking was always on the cutting edge of relevance when it came to the church world, you know, I mean, gosh, we gener for generations, it was the youth pastors that were really the ones who were, you know, turning over the tables in the temple, so to speak. And, and then everyone would be like, well, actually they have a good idea. We should actually do, you know, what they're doing. Um, but somehow, some way we started to get real uncomfortable with certain topics and, I, I don't, I mean, I could hypothesize as to why I think, I think that we all, myself included, we all adopted a very entertainment based model of youth ministry that was very focused on a youth pastor with a mic in their hand and the, you know, the right band and the right lights and the right youth room. And that was, that was our recipe for so long. And, and when we chose that model, we put ourselves in a situation as communicators where it was nearly impossible for us to effectively address some of these difficult issues. Um, And so we just stayed away from them. And then the longer we stayed away from them, the more culture around us started talking about them very openly. Um, And, um, but we weren't talking about it. And so students got the message. That's not something we talk about here at church. That's not something that we can do. And uh, that's sad. That's, that's a shame. You know, I was, I would always, you know, I would say to my leaders all the time, like, Hey, when a student comes to you and says, I'm wrestling with fill in the blank mental health, I'm wrestling with same sex attraction. I think I'm gay, you know, whatever. Um, those are really big issues. Here's but one of the things you have to remember is that 
that kid has probably already taken a dozen different online tests. You know, I mean, they've just, they've already had that conversation with a ton of you. I mean, you, you and I, unfortunately, were not the first person that they stopped to have the conversation with. They probably already had it. And to me, that's where it's so sad because they, they most likely have already formed an opinion on this that has been highly influenced by the opinion of their peers. That's scary, you know? And so that's why our response is so important. You don't have to, we don't necessarily have to have the answers, but we have to at least respond and create an opportunity for an ongoing conversation. If we even want to have a chance to get a student to the point where we can begin to interject truth, because what's truth going to do, truth is going to confront feelings, right? And, and, and so this is where, you know, when you, when you said, Matt, you know, are the kids that they, their whole identity gets wrapped up in like, you know, mental health or in addiction to pornography, like this is who I am. So that's, that's identity that's, that's wrapped up in things like this is, this is why people approve of me or disapprove of me, or this is what I've achieved or what I've not achieved, or this is what I'm attracted to. This is, this is how I feel about myself. And when you confront that young person's identity with the truth of God's word, that truth is very offensive. That truth is very controversial now. And it's personally offensive to them because what that truth is basically saying is, hey, there's something not right about you. That, well, that, that's a personal attack now in today's culture, right? That, so so if, if you don't have the foundation of a strong relationship with that student, you're never going to be able to have that conversation about truth. One of the, one of the coaching phrases I, I use a lot, uh, when we're, not only when we're coaching youth pastors, but I used it for years when I was coaching leaders on my youth ministry team was, you know, um, kids, generally speaking, won't talk with you about spiritual things until they know you, that they can talk with you about anything. And, and when you talk about anything with a student, what you're doing ultimately is you're building a relational bridge that one day can bear the weight of truth. Right. And so that's where I think like that entertainment, you know, um, model of youth ministry has really long term worked against us. And we're not able to have these truth gut level conversations with kids that much. And we've got to recapture that in youth ministry. Yeah, I want to I want to piggyback off of off of what, what you're talking about, that idea of having that that, you know, truth gut level conversation. And specifically, I want to zoom in around um a, a mental health when it comes to depression, anxiety. Um, and, and we've been having these conversations around our church recently where, you know, so much has happened this past year. And, and we, we've, you know, we, we saw a huge, obviously wave after wave of, of the effects of depression and anxiety effects of this past year when it comes to depression and anxiety. And, and we were having this conversation where I, I was telling our, our campus pastor, I said, I feel like this is going to be more like, a tsunami than we realize, not just a tsunami this past year of lots of stuff, but, you know, after a tsunami comes, there's, there's waves that come after, right. Um, and, and bigger waves that come after for a little while. And, and I was sharing with him, I said, I feel like, you know, for anywhere from two, three, four, five years from now, for adults and students, we're going to see some of the negative effects, especially on, um, you know, the, the, you know, decreased mental health, that are happening in the lives of our adults and the lives of students, um, you know, and, that, and that's just COVID related. And then when you add in a very intense and decisive um, or divisive, excuse me, political cycle, right. um, 
and you add in some of these other factors, um, you know, we've been, we've been trying to be really intentional about being, at least at our church, and I know I speak for the other guys too in the conversations that we've had, about trying to be intentional about being you know, up front or being proactive with, with being ready for those conversations and being ready for those moments where an adult, or in this case, in our case, a student, sort of has that breaking point where they, where they finally are sharing and finally opening up and saying, like, like I, I am, you know, I'm so sad all the time. Yeah. Or, or I just, I just feel so lonely or I just, I just hate myself or what, what, you know, whatever that sounds like for a student. And so I know we're, you know, we're trying to be really intentional about being proactive with that and trying to get ahead of that and be ready for that because we feel like it's going to be not just, you know, not just the year of COVID, not just, you know, the few months now, but I mean, we, we truly believe it's going to be years worth of this where we see the residual effects of this. And so I want to, I want to ask you to zoom in specifically on, maybe that first conversation that a student has with, with whether it be a youth pastor or a small group leader about mental health struggles, about, about struggles with their depression or anxiety, or maybe there's self-harm involved or, or anything like that. And, and I was wondering um, if you could just give us a little insight on, on what are some actual phrases that you would recommend leaders to say? What are some actual you know, practical things that in that first conversation, that first moment, where a student sort of opens up and shares and shares some things, what would be some of your suggestions on what, you know, we as youth pastors or we as leaders could, could, could have sort of in our arsenal to be able to use, to be able to, to receive that well. Yeah. Taylor, man, I love that question just um, because it's just so practical, you know, and I think that's where like, we do need that. Like we need, we do need to kind of have in our arsenal, um, not only what, what and how we respond as youth pastors, but also, you know, how we train our leaders, you know? And, um, so a couple phrases that I, I would encourage, um, you know, one is, I, I think one of our responses has to be something along the lines of, um, I'm so glad you told me, you know, whatever it is that they're telling you, I'm, I'm so glad that you told me. And, um, I, th- this is very brave. You're, you're a very brave young person for sharing this with me. And I want you to know that I'm just incredibly proud of you for taking this step to have this conversation. And, and, and so it's a lot of words of affirmation in there. Right. Um, And it's also affirming them in the places where they really desperately need affirmation. The last thing we want is a student who finally in their world is like taking that massive step of faith to have a conversation and it to be uh, received with the feeling of like, Ooh, or, oh, or wow, you know, like, so um, I used to say to my leaders all the time, we always speak to a student's uh, potential before we speak to their performance. And, and so it's helping us take on that mindset of, of adults, like, I'm going to speak to your potential. I just went through this last week with one of our students in our, in our a young adult in our ministry school. And, um, you know, she confessed some things to me. Um, before school started, this has happened last week, um, very difficult things. And it, and it was just kind of one of my first responses was, I'm, I'm so proud of you. And I know this is really hard and I'm, you're so brave right now. I'm so impressed with how brave you are to have, you know, this conversation. I don't have to agree with every word coming out of the student's mouth. And I don't have to offer correction in that moment to everything they yeah. say that maybe is biblically incorrect. We'll get to that. Right. But initially my response is going to be one of love and, and of grace and expressing that to them. 
And then, you know, I, I think along like, like there's, there's promises that we need to make, whether you verbalize these or not, or whether they're just communicated throughout the course of the conversation. But like, so let me, these, and again, I'm just kind of like going off of, of stuff that I trained my leaders to do for years, but like promise number one, I promise to see you how God sees you find a way to communicate that to your students, right? Whatever verbiage you want to put that in, that's something that students need to know. Right. And, and like, if we're dealing with like a student who, who comes and says, Oh, I'm dealing with, you know, same sex attraction. Like, well, I'm going to see you the way that God sees you. God, God doesn't primarily view us by our sexuality, right? The scripture says that we're made in his image. And, you know, theologically, we understand that we are, we're a fallen image bearer because of our sin nature, but, but, you know, God says that we're made in his image. And so I'm going to choose to see you the way that God sees us. That's a promise. Um, number two, I promise to point you to God's word. Right. And so I'm going to communicate that to a student like, Hey, here's what you can depend on me for, man. I'm, I am going to help you get a word from the word that you can begin to speak over your life. And, and although ever all of your feelings and your anxiety and your attractions might be way out there right now, the more you and I together speak a word from the word over your life, um, the more opportunity there is for God to help your life begin to align itself with his word, right? So I promise to see how God sees you. I promise to point you to God's word. Uh, two more here, just real briefly. Um, I promise to remember that we're all sinners, Right. We've, we're all, we all have, we all have a sin nature. I, you know, this, this can, remember I said a, a minute ago that like when you confront a student's feelings and, and their identity that's wrapped up in their feelings with truth, it becomes very uh, offensive to them. Well, ultimately, why does it become offensive to them? Because they don't have a theological foundation to understand that we're all sinners. And they don't have a theological foundation to understand that we all have a sin nature. And it's my sin nature that's actually allowing me to feel what I'm feeling right now. It's my sin nature that makes me have a desire at times to want to do the wrong thing. That's not indication of my identity, right? Culture says, I feel, therefore I am, right? Biblically, we would say, no, no, it's I feel, therefore I need. I've, I need a savior. I need someone to rescue me from this sin nature. So I promise that, I, that I'm going to remember we're all sinners. And then last one, I promise to hold up Jesus Christ as our only hope, right? So again, I think this is a key point for us as youth pastors, but also for, for the way that we train our leaders, right? We're not always going to have all the answers. In fact, the longer you're in youth ministry, the more you realize how much you don't know, right? <laughs> you know, and, and so... For, for students that are ongoing and in, in, a, in a higher continued level, so to speak, like, like they're dealing with deep issues. Gen Z is dealing with deep questions that previous generations never dealt with before, um, which on one hand speaks to the opportunity that we have to really have like deep discipleship level discussions with them. But on the other hand, points to our need to educate ourselves, but also be willing to simply say, you know what, I'm going to point you to Jesus. I, I don't have all the answers. I can't work all this out for you. In fact, you're not even going to be able to work it all out for yourself, but through a relationship with Christ. So, so when we say to you like, Hey, I'm building a foundation of truth. Well, John 14, six says, you know, I am the way, the truth and the life. So Jesus is truth. So ultimately, even when we're pointing to truth, we're ultimately pointing back to Christ. So, I just, I'm trying to give you some real practical meat for your answer there, but also like if you're a youth pastor listening to this, 
I would take those four things, those four promises. And I would, I would, I'd, I'd write, write the rest of the guts of that out and, and train your leaders based on these things. You know, I'd take those three other things, like you're the church, you're a navigator, you're not a counselor, same thing. Take that practically speaking, put that into a little bit of a leadership lesson or conversation you're having with your leaders and teach them like, Hey, here's how we're going to respond to students when they come to us and they talk about the anxiety they're wrestling with the mental health issues or, you know, a whole host of other issues. These are just good general responses that we can train ourselves to have. Yeah, no, no, that's perfect. Thank you. Um, because I think it's, you know, that, that, as you said before, you know, you said earlier, that first conversation, especially, you know, the follow-ups are important too, but that first conversation is so crucial. Um, and if a student, you know, you know, I know in our ministry recently, we've had, I mean, stress and anxiety has been through the roof. We've had, um, some, some self-harm with some of our students and for, for some of our students who finally got the courage to share that they were, that they were harming themselves, um, of like, man, that first conversation is so crucial to not swat it away or to not, to not make it seem insignificant or to not shame because of, because of the action or shame because of the feeling. Um, it's so crucial. We've been talking a lot too about, about instead of shaming God, you know, shaming yourself for what you're feeling about what would it look like to name that feeling and bring it to God yeah. to be able to identify how it is that you're currently feeling. And in a time right now where, we're based on this past year and based on lots of stuff going on, even still currently where you can be feeling a whole, whole host of different things, sometimes opposing things at once um, or things to, that wouldn't go together at one time. Yeah. You're going um, to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, I, and, I, and that's part I, of being human too, I think. Oh, it's, it's for all of us. I, I think that those kind of conversations with students are helpful for them to realize like, Hey, yeah. the, the emotions that I'm wrestling with now as a student, like um, it's really good for me to, to fight through these and to learn how to manage them well. Um, because as adults, you're going to have emotions, right? So, yeah, you know, like I, so I encourage students like, and adults as well. I found myself talking on this quite often over the last couple of years, but I, I think a lot of it is like COVID and the quarantine just kind of squeezes that kind of stuff out of you. Right. But it's not that we're denying emotions. It's not that we deny feelings and, and try to act as if they don't exist. It's that we realize they have to have boundaries, like, like the banks of a river. And, and one bank needs to be the truth of God's word. And the other bank needs to be our, our volition or our moral values. Right. And if you don't have those things in place, those boundaries, those banks in place, you know, then one day your emotions run wild and you're like a flash flood, emotionally speaking. Um, or the next day you're like a swamp, you know, and, and so teaching students how to channel all of that and, and to like see their emotions for what they are. Um, they're good indicators. They're terrible dictators right? They are, they're, they're a great servant. They're a terrible master. They're a great shotgun, but they're not a, they're a terrible driver, you know? And like, and so like, those are some of the word pictures that I would use with students all the time to help them understand like, Hey, yeah, you got emotions. Let's learn how to channel them properly and, and how to, in a healthy way, process those things. That's good. Thank you. Oh man. I took all the notes on that one. <laughs> I wrote all the notes uh, and I plan on using all of them. Do it. Um, I, I, but I really liked what you, cause I've, I've often had that. I think one of the things, one of the things that I've, I, I say done well, like it's my fault or whatever, but it's remembering that I'm, 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 I'm a sinner too. You know, Yeah. like I'm, I, I tell my leaders all the time, never forget where you come from. Cause the minute you do, you're no longer able to connect. And, um, I feel like 
what Taylor said, what you're saying is this conversation is so crucial and we've done a terrible job, like generally speaking about responding well. And it's like, and I love what you said. It's like, at some point we just stop talking about stuff. And I think um, the ability to talk about it is, is a big deal. And that could even go back to general, generationally, like, for example, I'm a millennial. Um, and one of the things about our generation is we just don't do conflict real well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this could be that, you know, there's a lot to it. But this generation deserves a deserves to be led in a way that is this that is this way. We see you for the way God created you, and I lo- I love your first thing is that is I'm just so proud of you for even coming to me. That's a big deal. If somebody told me that when I was telling them what I'd messed up on, I I, I think I'd just cry. I don't even know if I could continue. That's that's a big deal. I moving for sure, and and be and I think the big and it, it segues the next question is like. It shows the student that it's okay to not be okay. Right. Like it's okay that, that you're broken. It's okay that it's not right right now. It's okay that you met. I mean, it's okay because we serve a God who's gracious, right? Right. Um, and, and while it is okay to not be okay, we, we know that our students don't need to stay there, which is why this conversation is, is super, like super crucial. And I think you kind of answer it with this process anyway, like with your, like teaching your leaders this having these conversations, understanding, you know, that you're going to see them the way God sees you. We're going to point you to God's word. We're going to always, we're going to remember that we're all broken. We're all jacked up people, but then like we're pointing you to Jesus. And I think that walks, that's a, that's a great practical way of part of this question, which is to walk alongside them. Right. Um, But if you could, if you could give like, uh, you know, without giving specific information, but like, what are some ways that like past this conversation, right? Past this initial one, uh, what are some ways that you are walking alongside of students or teaching your leaders to walk along this with the students? All right. We've had this conversation. They trust us. They believe us, but we know that one conversation, one moment of prayer that that's not normally going to do it. Right. That's not going right. to like magic pill fix it. Yeah. So what's the journey look like after this? You know, I, I, part of the journey starts with you and I as leaders having a long-term view, right? And this is, you know, part of the um, catastrophe of what's happened in youth ministry is how many youth pastors are in and out in, in such a quick amount of time, right? So obviously that's not helpful. And when you have still to this day, you know, the average tenure of a youth pastor being 18 months or, or whatnot, I mean that cycle dear god needs to be broken in the name of jesus and we need to see a a new generation of youth pastors you know rise up that say i'm in this long term i'm going to be a baller for the rest of my life in you know youth ministry if that's what it takes and we just don't have a long-term view and because we don't have a long-term view we we take short-term fixes as as the option especially when it comes to these difficult conversations and that's just that's that's just never going to work, you know? And I mean, you know, you and I know as adults, let's just be real, real talk, you know, four guys on this podcast right now. And if we wanted to pull back the layers, we could probably, we could all share probably different emotional challenges and battles that we have faced for decades of our life. Right. So how naive and shallow minded is it for us as youth pastors to think that in one or two conversations or one or two prayer moments, that we're going to be able to actually help students do this. You, so this is, you know, we're talking, we got to walk them through this. So part of it starts with us. It's a long-term view. 
I think the other part of it starts with us is, is we need to philosophically change the way that we think about youth ministry. It is not our program. It's not our method. It's not our weekly service. It's not our calendar of events at its core. Youth ministry is nothing more than a godly adult building a relationship with a student period. That's all it is. And if you don't view it that way, then if you're the small guy, you're the small youth ministry, right? You tend to always think you're not being successful, you know? And so you have to try to do more and more and more. If you're the large youth ministry, you tend to be event or program-based, but both sides miss out on the fundamental value of what youth ministry is, right? Um, Mark DeVries says in his book, Family-Based Youth Ministry, that all of the data suggests that students who make it to maturity, not just Christian maturity, mind you, students who make it to maturity, always have the presence of at least one supportive adult in their life. And the youth ministry of a large church or the lack thereof in a small church has made no difference whatsoever. Right. So So that's not, that's not to degrade the value of youth ministry and suggest that we don't need it. I'm, I'm suggesting we need to recapture the core of why you and I do what we do. We do it because at its core, it's a godly adult building relationship with a student. And in doing so, just let me, let me just frame this in a biblical concept, in a biblical context now. In, in my view, youth ministry is the equivalent of becoming a spiritual father or a spiritual mother in the life of students, plain and simple, period. And we all have need of spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers in our life. So we laughed and joked about my name and that I was a PK at the beginning you know, of the podcast, right? I still to this day have an incredible relationship with my mom and my dad. They live 15 minutes down the road. I talk to them on a regular basis. They, no one will, will ever be more influential in my life than my parents. Yet I could list at this point in my life, well over a dozen, maybe two dozen other spiritual fathers that have had significant impact on my life and still do to this day. Because we all have need of that in our life. Biblically, that's true, right? Timothy had Paul, Elisha had Elijah, uh, Esther had Mordecai, right? Like, so you, that's, in my view, what biblically speaking, youth ministry is. It's spiritual fathering, it's spiritual mothering. So, so initially, the answer to your question, Graham, is it starts with us and the way that we're viewing it. But I think on a more practical level, it's, it's when you view it correctly, when you see it correctly, then it makes it much easier to say, okay, I'm going to have long-term conversations with young people about certain things that they're going to struggle with. Um, so in my tenure uh, at that one church I was at in Reading for 15 years, um, there was a, a young man in the youth ministry there who, um, as he got older towards high school graduation and then, and then out of high school, even wasn't even in the youth ministry anymore, had a significant battle that he was facing with same sex attraction. And, you know, so for him and I, that looked like, I don't know how many weeks or months that we just got together for breakfast once a week and we just talked. And sometimes we talked about that issue and sometimes we didn't talk about it, but I was just, I just needed to constantly avail myself to whatever level of conversation he wanted to have throughout the different seasons and the different battles that he's facing. The reality is uh, he's still facing those things. You know, many years later, he's still wrestling with those things. I'm not as much of a voice in his life as what I would like to be. Um, But whenever we're together and we grab a cup of coffee together, if he wants to talk about that, he knows I'm a safe place to talk about that. If he wants to focus on something else, he can focus on something else we want to fix everything in youth ministry. And theologically speaking, if you come from a Pentecostal background, like I do, you, you tend to even sway that way even more 
right? Like I just need to preach one good sermon and have one really good altar call and prayer time. And we we're done. Like, you know, like that was, that's me. I'm, t- I'm making fun of myself right now, you know, like, you know, so um, we, we have to understand process and we have to have a long a view of longevity and we have to be willing to, you know, to, to walk with them in that process, have those conversations as they want to have those conversations. I'll give you one more example of, of, of what this looks like in a practical sense. So in our youth ministry in Reading, we were, we were, everything we did was wrapped around the structure of small groups. Every kid was in a small group. They were integrated into our weekly services. You, you literally could not even be in our youth ministry if you weren't in a small group experience. It's just kind of the way we structured everything. Um, I had a, a husband and wife come to me, Joe and Jess, and they said, uh, after like an informational meeting one, one Sunday, they said, hey, we, um, we want to be sixth grade leaders. He wants to be sixth grade boys leader. She wants to be sixth grade girls leader. I just wanted to break down and start weeping and crying because no adult in their right mind ever came to me and said, I want to be a sixth grade boys leader. I'm like, let me take your temperature right now. Right. Like, um, so like I said to Joe, I was like, listen, just remember teenagers usually won't talk with you about spiritual things until they know they can talk with you about anything. And I kept telling them that over and over and over again. And like for the first couple of years, Joe would like come to me after youth service with like his eyes rolled back in his head, like, Oh my gosh, what did I sign up for? You know, we haven't had one spiritual conversation ever. He did that for three years, three years when he got to ninth grade with those boys now, because he moved up every year with them. She's three years in now. Um, in one of their small group sessions, the kind of unspoken, you know, boy who's like the leader of the group, a young man, a, a young boy named Pablo at the time, he said, Hey, Mr. Joe, can we talk about what's really going on in our group? And uh, he just, you know, Joe got quiet. Like what's, where's this conversation going? And uh, Pablo said, uh, he's like, you've been with us three years. We finally trust you. We feel like we should tell you what's really happening here. All of us boys here, we're all addicted to pornography. Would you help us? Wow. It took three years. It took three years for those boys to trust him enough to say, we can tell Mr. Joe, I think he'll help us. And Joe spent then the next four years, like hardcore discipling those boys. When those boys hit 10th grade was about the time I was transitioning from the youth ministry. Joe and his wife wanted to move from Pennsylvania to South Carolina in order to kind of pursue a dream that they had to live in South Carolina and to live, you know, buy a beach house or whatever. And I, I said to them, I'm like, hey, when are you, when are you going to do it? And he's like, well, we're not going to do it for at least three years. I said, why not? And he said, because my boys don't graduate from high school for at least three years and I'm not leaving them. Wow. You know, so like for me, like that's the view, like that's the kind of culture you want to create in ministry where adults are saying, I'm do- we're doing life together. And if you talk to Mr. Joe today, he would tell you that on a monthly basis, there's a lot of those boys that are now in college and some of them out of college that he still stays in touch with, you know, and that's, that's youth ministry. That's being a spiritual dad. That's being a spiritual mom. That's the view you and I have to have when kids are dealing with anxiety and mental health issues and all these other really, really heavy issues. There's no shortcuts here. It's just, it's just a lifelong commitment to relationship. You don't even have to have the title of youth pastor like I don't right now to still be highly influential in the life of a student that you've built relationship with. That story. Wow. That's a real deal right there, man. You know, like that's what we sign up for. That's incredible. 
Yeah, what the Aaron, the way we say it, um, at our at our at our church is value people over programs, people over yeah. programs, people over programs. And we yeah. that's sort of our our one of our little mantras that we say. Um, the program's just an avenue for people. Um, it's an avenue for people to connect, it's an avenue for people to build a relationship. So I, I love it. Yeah, I love it. And there's no shortcuts. I think that's I a, that's a good word that we need to hear. Yeah, that's a good and if, word. If your program isn't helping set you and your adults up for better relational opportunities, then then change the program. Please change the program. Yep. You know, like now yep. I'll I'll be honest, I'm not um I had to have programs in order to build relationships with students cuz personality-wise, I'm a little more like slightly more on the introvert side. And so it was hard for me even as a youth pastor to really build relationships with students. I needed personally the structure of small groups to have kind of like, this is my crew. Like, these are my guys. This is who I'm going to build. But what I learned is there's a ton of adults out there that feel the exact same way. Sure. There's a handful of like your crazy extroverts. They can walk into a room of students and everyone loves them. Their life of the party. My wife was like that. Right. That's just not me. Like I'm as an adult, I walk into a room of teenagers and I'm like, I'll just go stand over there and just, yeah, I'll stare at my phone for a while. Yeah. So, but a lot of my adult leaders were like that too. But once I gave them a structure of a program that was, that was set up for relationship, then we really started to win relationally with students. Yeah. No, that's, that's so good. That's so good. So one final, one final question to, to close it out. And this isn't so much a question, but just an invitation for you. Um, you've said, you've said so many good things already, but we, we like to end each podcast with, with whoever we have on with just a chance for to take three to five sort of the last minutes and just to share what it is that the Lord's been teaching you during this, this time. Um, and that can be something about what we talked about. That can be something completely unrelated. It can be, you know, it can be something kind of close to what we talked about. It can be whatever, but just something that recently you feel like God has been teaching you or you feel like you've been learning. Yeah. Um, and the floor is yours to just share that sort of some final words. Yeah. You know, it, tie, it ties in. I mean, a lot of what I shared, you know, with about in regards to identity is, is really just been a, I think a personal battle for me. I think as leaders, it's so easy for us to um, fall into the trap of our identity as a leader being based on the approval that we receive from students or from parents or from, you know, our, our direct report, our lead pastor um, uh, or uh, our need for approval from other people, our need for affirmation uh, or our identity is wrapped up in like, I need to achieve something. I need to accomplish, you know, something. I need to hit some sort of metric or some sort of gauge, some sort of number, a goal that I need to complete. And I've been um, spending, I, I find myself, I keep going back to um, the parable Jesus told in Matthew seven of the wise builder and the foolish builder. And, you know, the wise man builds his house on the rock and the storm comes and, and he's able to withstand and the foolish man builds his house on the sand and the same storm comes and he, his house stands, but it doesn't stand the test of time. It's, it eventually falls apart. And so I, I've, personally have felt so challenged to reevaluate you like what is my as a leader what's my identity built on right um you know one of my mentors used always says this you you teach what you know but you reproduce who you are so if i'm gonna if i'm gonna produce great students and if i'm going if my ministry is going to produce students that can not just stand like stand the storms of being a teenager but withstand the storms of life right? If, if I'm going to produce those kinds of students, then 
Um, I need to be living that kind of life myself. And so, man, I've, I've been found myself just wrestling through that, trying to process my feelings, trying to process like, okay, why am I feeling this? And, and really asking myself the question, like not so much like a fruit level question, but a root level question. And I think I used that phrase earlier on the podcast, but I think that we can be so shallow um, not only in our preaching and teaching to students, but we can be shallow in the way we're processing our own life. So I've tried, I've, I've been trying to force myself to ask the deeper questions when I'm wrestling with different feelings of doubt or feelings of a need for approval, affirmation, like why, where does that come from? Where does that need come from? What's the root of that? And how do I address that at the root level? Right? Cause the fruit, I can see what the fruit is producing. The fruit's producing some depression, some anxiety, some angst, right? The fruit's producing some insecurity in me as a leader. Let me address this at the root issue. Um, I want to build a life that not just stands, but withstands. I want to build students that not just stand, but also withstand. And so, yeah, that, that's like my three minute devotional for you. Um, I think Jesus is juxtaposing two different ways you can build your life. And it's really, again, we talked about a lot of it in different ways. You can build your life based on feeling or you can build your life based on truth, right? And you can build it on a foundation that builds a solid, healthy life and can withstand the storms that are going to come, or you can build it on feeling. The same storms are going to come to both guys, right? Um, one scholar suggests that, that Jesus is not trying to juxtapose two different men. He's trying to talk about one man who did it two different ways and, and trying to show that like potentially is Jesus trying to say a foolish man built his house this way one time and then he learned his lesson and then he turned around and built it like a wise man? You know, maybe that's even a more accurate translation because I've, I've built certain parts of my life in a foolish way and I've had to go back and rebuild those things and say, yeah, I can't, I can't do it that way. Why? Because I'll never survive the storms of life if I do it that way. And if COVID taught us anything, I hope it taught us, boy, you better have your identity grounded firmly uh, in, in Christ. Right. And, and take it even a step further. It's, it's not that my identity is, is, uh, in Christ. It's that my identity is Christ, right? Like the, like the goal of my life is not to become the best version of Aaron that I can be. What a shallow goal. If that's what it's all about, right? The goal of my life needs to become, uh, Aaron needs to become more like Christ. That's John three thirty, right? Less of me and, and more of him. So, ask yourself that question in relation to you as a leader or ask yourself that question in relation to the ministry that you're building. Is it a, is a life that simply stands and eventually topples in the storm or is it a life that withstands all of the storms that we face? That's so good, man. I tell you what, I've, I've learned probably more on this podcast than I have in multiples of the ones prior. <laughs> And, um, you're, and think, you're a walking Google machine. Come on. I know, man. right? <laughs> you know, Google might be able to give you some facts, but it does not give you experience. That is for sure. Um, but uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to take a lot of this and apply it to where we are here. Um, I think, I think the, this is going to be a super beneficial podcast to those listening because not only is it teaching us insight into the mental health of our students, but for me, it has also given me uh, the leadership um, wisdom on how do I take my leaders and produce in them uh, somebody who can who can understand and walk along some uh, a student in in this world that we're living in currently right um, so thank you 
Thank you so much. Uh, before we jump off, though, is is one of your mentors the one who says you teach what you know but reproduce who you are? Is that Jeannie Mayo? Yes, it is. Come on, the one and only. Love Jeannie, man. Yeah, love her. My uh, my spiritual father was uh, he referred to her as his spiritual mother. So yeah. I have this. I'm the, I have. I guess I would be a spiritual grandchild. Yeah, of that one. I call her mom. I was just with her last month, and just you know, were you in the cadre? I did cadre. I was, uh, I'm going to date myself here. I was, uh, I was in cadre the very first year that she did cadre. So like, I think like 16 years ago, and, uh, I was ready to quit youth ministry, man. I was just done. I was, I think I was like three or four years in, um, all of my best plans didn't work. All of my best programs failed. All of my best sermons meant nothing to teenagers. And, uh, I was just like, man, I thought, I thought I had it all figured out before I even started and, you know, <laughs> so, um, but man, I, and wow. I walked, walked into cadre and boy, God just used Jeannie in such a powerful way to, uh, restore my, my faith and not just God, but also like in my calling that he had given right. me for youth ministry. Yeah. My, um, uh, my mentor, my, one of my, my spiritual father, his name's Steve Burton. You may know him, you may not, I don't know, but he, uh, same as you, he, he uh he said this had the same same exact reason he jumped in that's pretty a small world that's awesome all right before we go we want to wrap it up with a few things we're going to have you tell them where they can find you socially in a minute but uh i've been doing a lot of research and looking through leading up to this podcast kind of what you do where you're at uh take a few minutes uh tell them about where they can find information on lead the generation because i know it's more than a conference you have coaching you have um, content available that they can get on a subscription basis. Uh, so tell them about that. Uh, give us like, give us just a couple minutes. Tell us about that. And then yeah. tell us at the end. So on socials, where can we can, we can find you, even though you have a great name to find them. <laughs> if, well, that's if you can figure out how to spell my name, right? If you can't spell <laughs> the first name, then you ain't going to find me. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I appreciate you asking the question, Graham. So leadthegeneration.com. That's where the web, the ministry website is at leadthegeneration.com. Pretty simple. And, um, yeah, we, uh, our, our vision is to resource and equip youth pastors from the volunteer youth pastor all the way through to the full-time vocational youth pastor. And, you know, across our country, we have, um, roughly speaking right now, 50% of all churches in America, 50% have no weekly youth ministry at all. Wow. And, uh, so Lord willing, our goal is to not just resource and equip the full-time youth pastor out there with uh, year-long coaching experiences that we have and with some, you know, leadership resources and subscriptions and conferences and podcasts and things like that. But long-term for us, we want to raise up and release hundreds, if not thousands of full-time youth pastors to be coaches, to volunteer youth pastors out there. And uh, let's plant youth ministries in churches that don't have it. Let's, let's, let's be not just a generation of long-term faithful youth pastors, but let's be a generation of youth pastors that reproduce ourselves in the lives of, of other leaders out there. I, I believe with all my heart that there's an adult sitting in every church somewhere that would start a youth ministry, a local church youth ministry in that church, if they knew there was someone to come alongside of them, put an arm around them, encourage them and support them. And so that's what we're building. That's the movement that we've been building. Um, we've got a bunch of different resources, you know, that people can avail themselves to. We have a year-long coaching program that we do called Mastermind. 
it is a hybrid of online curriculum and courses that we've developed along with like uh, live monthly Zoom calls. Um, and um, so that's something that we'll be kicking off here on the other side of our conference. We've already talked about the conference a little bit. All the information for that's on the website as well. May the 7th and 8th uh, online conference really not just for the youth pastor to buy a ticket for themselves, but for them to buy tickets for their whole team and have kind of a watch party there in their own facility or home. We've got a couple podcasts. We have a leadership podcast that we do. We also have a student leadership podcast that we launched this year. Um, the student leader one, that's my baby. I love that one. We do three short podcast episodes a week, like 10 minutes long, and they're just targeted right towards students to develop them as student leaders. And so it's a great resource for youth pastors to push to your kids. Um, and then you mentioned Graham as well. We, we have a, a subscription that people can sign up for. So this conference coming up is our eighth conference. So that means we have seven conferences worth of training videos that are currently available on our subscription package for a whopping $5 a month. <laughs> and uh, so for five bucks a month, you can get your hands immediately on a hundred hours worth of training content soon to have another uh 20 plus hours of content from the conference in a couple of weeks added to that as well. Incredible. And um, so some of the, some of the, the incredible voices in, in youth ministry across the country are all, you know, recognized there. Jeannie May, we talked about her, Chris Estrada, some others that you guys have mentioned. Um, so uh, yeah, leadthegeneration.com. And if you want to connect with me personally, uh, all of my, all of my social media is just, is just Aaron Holt. So E R A N that's the catch right there. Got to get the first name, right? Uh, E-R-A-N-H-O-L-T. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, email, AaronHold at gmail.com. So um, once you spell it right, you got me. So <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I love it. You even have the Gmail account. That just puts a stamp on it right there. <laughs> right, That's right. It. Yeah. That's it. Okay, uh, let's wrap it up. Taylor, what's your headline? What's your Florida man headline? Well, oh, yeah. well, I found two. Um <laughs> Both oh, are legal. Are you allowed to have two? <laughs> both are equal. Both are equally disturbing. So I'm going to share both of them with you. Um, the first one is Florida man shot at roommate over cat hair on couch. Come on! Wow, that's the first. Wow. One. Um, this the second one. Hopefully, this doesn't get us the explicit filter. But I'm going to go ahead and read the headline as written. Okay, it, it probably will. Florida man on meth attacks mattress looking for girlfriend's lover, quote, hiding inside, police say. Wow. Wow. There you go. We could redo the whole podcast just all just right there with that as the new topic. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, yeah, is that the topic? That's funny. Wow. <laughs> wow. There you go. Well, that's, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> oh, on, on that yeah. note. On that note, Graham. Do the honors. Nickname Aaron. Ooh, okay. Ooh, you get a nickname, Aaron. Uh, let's go. Make it a good one. Make, listen, make it make I, it yeah, great. Make it, grand, make it grandparent worthy. Because uh, you know I'm getting close, so putting some pressure on you, Grandma. No, sorry. Hmm. I think he's got it. I I trust you. <laughs> Graham's the nickname master. He is Aaron, the Grand Pastor Holt. Yes, <laughs> he's no longer a youth pastor. He's no. Lo he is not. A Let's pastor. go. He is the Grand Pastor. All right. All right. 
Just hey, like a grandmaster. I, I told you I, I was all about, you know, a philosophy of spiritual fathering and youth ministry. So I, I'll, I'll receive that mantle right there. Yes. Oh, I felt it. I said, yep, that's him. He's a grand pastor. That's it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Aaron, for coming on with us. Um, we know you're in preparation for this conference and, and uh, super excited about it. Um, in fact, uh, myself and my assistant will be signing up uh, today to be go. a part of it. Um, uh, thank you for telling, for sharing your heart, sharing your vision. Uh, I believe this is going to be super beneficial to our listeners. Um, and again, uh, YM United Nation, you guys are the reason we do this. Without y'all, this does not exist. So uh, make sure you like, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about it, put it on your socials. Let us know of anything you want to hear about. We want to make sure we're adding value to you because remember our vision with YM United is to equip, encourage, and empower uh, youth leaders to lead this generation. Uh, thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time on YM United Podcast. Hey, youth pastors, don't you love how ministry is easy? How every week is the exact same, how you only have to focus on one thing all week. There's always plenty of resources to go around to your youth ministry. Now, obviously, that's a bit of a joke, but hopefully your logo is not. Bright Coal Creative is on a mission to fix bad branding in the church. Now, Josh has spent a lot of time on staff. He's he's spent time volunteering at churches and spent the last decade working at an advertising agency. So if you'd like to see some of the work that he does, go to brightcoal.com. That's B-R-I-G-H-T-C-O-A-L.com slash logos. Or if you need some lunch break entertainment today, check out his logo review series on YouTube at Grade My Logo with Bright Coal.